I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. 50% of businesses fail within the first five years, and that number jumps to 70 after 10. And while most entrepreneurs will tell you that hard work, persistence, and discipline are some of the keys to their success, my next guest on the Business of Intuition has a unique twist on what has made him and his company so successful. Kevin Hill is a data junkie, as he would describe himself. For years, he worked for other tech and e-commerce organizations, made others a lot of money, long before taking the plunge to start Inceba, which he now owns and runs. Inceba specializes in launching, managing, and optimizing the presence of manufacturers and brands on Amazon. Kevin's special ingredient for success has nothing to do with the data he so loves and manages. Listen in as Kevin shares his paradoxical tale of how he weaves intuition into growing a company that sells data and analytics. So Kevin, I understand, knowing you as long as I have, that you worked for other people and you've made them actually quite successful and quite wealthy. And then a while back, several years ago, you had this idea to start your own business. And as you and I both know, a lot of us out there have ideas of starting businesses and we never do it. We never have the courage mm -hmm. to do it. What was that inner voice for you that said, I can do this? <laughs> My first reaction is, is the cries of agony <laughs> of <laughs> working for someone else. Um, it sounds horrible, I, I guess, but uh, for me, it, it was years and years of uh, working for uh, people and building, you know, great businesses, or at least, you know, I, I would think, you know, that they're great businesses. I did my best and, uh, you know, others may differ, but, you know, I felt I had some insight into the arena that I was in, uh, e-commerce and online sales and technology. And I had some unique skills that allowed me to see, you know, from the front to the back of the e-commerce process and things like that. And I felt there were a lot of people out there that needed the knowledge that I had, and I wanted to get it out there and help people. I felt really strongly about that. And I had a great support group of entrepreneurs and businessmen around me, you, one of them, and uh, many other people that had given me a lot of skills and confidence and stuff. So, you know, when it came down to it, it really wasn't um, a question of if I was going to do it. It was a question of, you know, my family and my friends and developing a structure that would allow me to measure if this idea of starting my own business was going to, was successful or not and setting goals and ways to measure, you know, what was happening when, you know, I basically kind of just <laughs> walked into my poor boss's office one day and I, I walked in there, opened the door and I said, Hey, we got to talk. And, you know, he said, well, what about, I said, well, I'm quitting, you know, well, well, you know, big surprise, you know, and I said, you know, I have this dream of starting my business. This is what I want to do. And I explained to him what my business plan was. And, you know, I told him, I said, look, it's nothing to do with where I'm working here and stuff like that, but I want to 
start my business and, and help people in this industry. And I want to do it under my own shingle and I need to do it. And I need to give my two weeks notice. And, you know, by that time I talked with my wife and my family and they were, you know, in full support and I'd set up some things to, you know, measure it. I had a timeline. If in six months I wasn't making a modest income, a very modest income, and it wasn't uh, growing, um, then I'd go back and look for a job because I didn't want to be that guy who had a resume, you know, trying to start his own business for two or three years and then going and looking for a job because that's a tough one. You know, you tried Mm -hmm. to start your own business and couldn't succeed. So you're going to be successful working for me. That's a tough one to fight. Right. So I had a really, you know, strong goal. And, uh, you know, in six months I had some measurements I had to meet and, uh, I set some metrics, you know, for every day. It wasn't a mad rush. It was a Mount Everest climb, so to speak, one step in front of the other. And uh, every day I had uh, two or three hours of marketing tasks that I had to do, writing info blogs, writing graphic, you know, sheets of, you know, infographics and things like that. And, And then, you know, every day I needed to not sell someone. Uh, I needed to call them and just tell them what I was doing. Hi. Kevin, remember me from two or three years ago? Yeah, I quit my job and I'm starting my own company and this is what I'm doing. And do you have any thoughts or opinions about, you know, what I'm doing and how I might succeed? And that was it. It wasn't like, hey, be my client. Now, don't get me wrong. I was calling these people because I wanted them to be my client. Yeah. But there's nothing worse than getting that call from this guy that you haven't talked to in two or three years. Hey, I just started my own business. Be my client. I mean, who, right. you know, how fast can I hang up on you? Right. No, it was a conversation of, hey, this is what I'm doing and I'm super excited about it. What do you think I could do to succeed? And let them share their thoughts. Sort of the informational interview. Yeah. Yeah. Help yeah. me, help me out. So I, I went, in fact, I mean, it sounds like you had such a systematic approach, which I remember watching you from afar, how well you had mapped this out and the goals and the process. It was just clockwork. And um, there's so much to that. If you go back in time mm-hmm. and, you know, it was before you got married, not mm-hmm. to your wife, but to the idea that yeah. there was, it was just prior to that. I remember personally when I decided to uh, move to Seattle and start my business, my father tried to talk me out of it and I mm-hmm. adored my dad, you know, I really mm-hmm. did. But he said, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, from a logical database perspective. Mm-hmm. You have family, you have friends, you have resources, you have jobs that you could do. Why are you giving this all up to, in a sense, move into a flea-bitten you know, uh, apartment for a while to start a <laughs> business you know nothing about? And I went, uh, Dad, I don't know. I mean, I, the best I could do was say, I just feel strongly I'm supposed to do this, uh, yeah. which made no sense to him. What about yeah. you? Did you have any of those, aside from all the, the, the methodical process of, of starting it, was there right. something that churned in you that said, ah, not just that I should do this, but I feel like it's my, my destiny to do it? Well, I, as you're saying that, it's funny that you mentioned that because there is a lot of, a lot of there's, there's some backstory to how I got to where, you know, what I just shared with everybody was, you know, wow, that sounds easy. I mean, you yeah, just, it does. He just, he just did it and step poof. by step. Like, why not? Yeah, yeah, why not? Let's just boom. Well, no, I mean, that was the moment that I left. But there was 20 years of preparation before I made the leap. And, you know, frankly, you know, years of being afraid mm-hmm. and worrying about, you know, what that means to basically not have a safety net. And there were two things. There were a couple of things. So first off, wanting to run my own company wasn't something that just kind of occurred to me 
you know, right when I quit my job. It had been something that I'd been trying to do in various forms and fashions for, you know, 20 years. And there's one thing that I, I will tell people is, is that persistence is the recipe for success. Uh, those that you see that have succeeded um, very rarely are simply lucky or smart. They are doggedly persistent and stubborn. Um, they will get, you know, fail over and over and over again, and they will analyze critically like, okay, I failed. I, I'll tell you a story. This is a horrible failure. I still feel bad about it today. If I could find these people, I would literally write them a check today for the amount that they paid me to fail. I mean, I failed miserably and, and did not, give them what they wanted. Uh, I was a burgeoning software writer. I was writing software for an accounting package. It was a major accounting package. And I had this company uh, and these very nice people come to me and wanted me to write um, some software to do some specific stuff that was accounting related. And I had big dreams. Oh, yeah, I can do this. It'll be the start to an accounting package. I'll be the next big accounting thing. Well, you know, $1,000 later, which back then I was like 23 years old. I mean, that's a lot of money, $1,000. I mean, holy cow, $1,000. And it was my thousand dollars. Well, I wrote this software package and I mean, I was all the things that, I mean, just I showed up with, uh, you know, we didn't have portable computers in. So I was carrying a Macintosh classic and I forgot the mouse, had a keyboard only, the software didn't work and all this stuff. And they paid me this money and they fired me and they should have. <laughs> And, and I spent the next, you know, 20 years trying to create a consulting business to do certain things. And, you know, at certain points, I didn't have the experience for it. And at other points, I had a full-time job. And, you know, until I quit a job and took two weeks off between the next job, I didn't realize how much energy a full-time job sucks out of you. Over those 20 years, I realized some techniques and some things and learned some things and made some mistakes and analyzed them and decided what, you know, what I could do differently. And that all came to fruition when I was basically decided to make a leap. It wasn't something that I, my wife was well aware I wanted to start my own company and do my own thing for four or five years. So this has been pregnant in you, so to speak, oh, for a long time. Ever since I got my first job, you know, and, got it. and you know, why make my boss all the peanuts when I can make the same peanuts, but yeah. I had to learn a lot of stuff to figure out kind of what basket I would need to carry those peanuts in. Understood. So if this has been a journey long before you took the leap, you're obviously got some sort of aspiration for a lifestyle, for a contribution that may not have been fulfilled. So what do you, I guess what I'm trying to say is what's your definition of success? What is, mm -hmm. what's that North star that having a business like yours mm -hmm. helps satisfy? Well, yeah, <laughs> that's complex because for everybody, it's different. Um, yeah, but for you. For me, I truly feel successful when I have a client that has that wow moment. You know, when I can teach them, you know, and I don't teach, I mean, I'll, let me be very specific. I don't teach people how to do what I do. I don't train them on my skill set and all that kind of stuff. But what I do do is I reveal to them data and information that can give them opportunities. And when they have that aha moment, when I'm sitting in front of a presentation with data and numbers and models, and I can show them empirical information that leads them down a path that can generate lots of money, and they go, wow, 
and then they start executing on it and they're successful, that to me gives me a charge. That's the moment that I get really excited about. Um, you know, I've had moments where I've been analyzing data sets and uh, information coming from online uh, business that literally have been worth, you know, tens of millions of dollars in revenue just by making observations and changes that, you know, maybe other people weren't paying attention to or just hadn't done the analysis on and the, you know, and they played out. And that to me is, that's what I get charged about. Got it. That's so exciting to me. One of the things that those who are on this podcast or have a episode, they get to fill out a intake form and we ask them questions like, what kind of questions do you want to be asked? Mm -hmm. And you had asked me to ask you about this use of intuition and data. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that relationship of the two. Mm -hmm. And so you got a very data-focused career and company. How does intuition play a part of that? <laughs> I love me some data. <laughs> <laughs> I am a data guy. Yeah, I love data, but, but data is only takes you so far because data is, data is like, it exists, right? It's like the road infrastructure of Los Angeles County. There's a lot of roads, but which ones do you drive, right? Which ones are the ones that are going to take you where you want to go? You know, for me, that's highway two up through the mountains in a nice car, nice sunny day. So intuition is, you know, the thing that gives you that gut feeling and we all know what it is, you know, you're like, oh, it's right. But so many of us, we have that intuition feeling, that moment of feeling of this is the right thing to do, but we can't get there or execute on it because we don't trust ourselves or we don't have the indicators that support that intuition. And for me, I've always felt that data and intuition are like a brother and sister who, you know, support each other or a husband and wife who are cheering for each other um, or a football team that's all working together. The data supports the intuition. So I have a feeling. So I go look at the data and then I avoid trying to make the data support what I want. I just look at the data and try to see what's there and help it, you know, let it help me learn. And then as I'm seeing the data, you know, I get gut feelings on what's going on and one of the critical things is, is to be open to what your intuition is telling you and what the data is telling you. So many times I have a predisposed idea of what the data says and I come out the other side completely different. You know, try explaining that to your boss. You go in and say, hey, I'm going to do A. Let me go analyze this for two or three days. I have an intuition that there's something here. Well, sure enough, there's something there. But when I come back to my boss after two or three days, I don't say, hey, we're not doing A. We're doing B now because the data has taken me on a different path, right? So so does it happen for you in sequence, like one starts and then the other one is allowed to exist? I start with data, I explore it, my intuition then takes over, or does it go the other way where I have an intuitive hit on something and then I go find data to back it up? How does it work for you? It's a mix. I mean, your, your intuition is constantly, at least mine is, is constantly hitting me with things. So as I'm seeing data, you know, I've been working with data for so many years that my history of experiences in my subconscious builds up my intuition, right? Intuition is, is a summary of your history, right? You, you have so many experiences, you know, putting that hot, you know, hand on a hot stove or, you know, seeing things that maybe you didn't really put in front, you know, kind of really memorialize and think about, but your subconscious is a powerful thing. I mean, I don't know how many problems I've solved because I've gone to sleep and let myself just kind of subconsciously digest what's going on. And then the next day or next week, I come up with a solution. 
you know, my business partner will tell you, you know, yeah, Kevin will tell you, you know, you can't do that. And then two hours later or the next day or the next week, he comes back with a solution for it because he's been subconsciously chewing on it. So intuition is your history of, of experiences, both conscious and subconscious. And as you as I experience data, my intuition absorbs what I'm seeing and what I'm interpreting. And it guides me to make those leaps across those little chasms that um, you know you find when you're analyzing things and vice versa when I have data it will take me to places that then my intuition can start grab, grabbing hold of you mentioned that data and intuition are akin to a supportive brother and sister relationship yeah husband and wife you know husband football team cheering together yeah yeah does the, do the do the siblings ever argue oh absolutely how does that <laughs> <laughs> so how does that play out in a <laughs> painfully yeah so how does your beta based mindset uh-huh. sometimes feel at odds with your intuition do you do you ever get into situations where data says one thing gut says something else who wins yeah yeah and i think everybody does that it's you're so darn sure that you're right you're absolutely darn sure that you know that that what you've decided on is the right path the right decision but you know, for instance, you know, I'm going to, you know, and I love analogies, you know, I am absolutely convinced that there is a road right in front of my, I'm looking out my window right now at my office. There's a road that goes all the way through the center of the valley of my city. And I'm convinced I can drive that road and get to the other side of town in five minutes. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Nothing will stop me and I'm going to go on that road and I'm going to drive and I'm going to get there in five minutes. Well, as I'm driving there and I'm driving across, you know, town at 55 miles an hour, cause that's the speed limit. My intuition tells me that that's how it works. I'm going to get there in five minutes. Now, the red lights that are telling me to stop that I'm ignoring and driving through is the data fighting with me, right? And the fight sometimes ends up in an accident. So you have to pay attention to both, right? Sure, it is literally five minutes to the other side of town, but there's a lot of red lights between me and there. So bring that analogy now. we got analogies and analogies here. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> Brother and sister driving through town. So let's like bring it back into the real world here. Yeah. You're running a business. Is there an example where you were, you had a vision analogy mm-hmm. of driving your car through town at 55 mm-hmm. miles an hour. You had a vision for something and something was presented in a form of data, AKA the red lights yep. that made you slow down. Do you have anything mm-hmm. that you could, share that relates to a business sure. using that sort of stop start well let me give you a good one and uh you know so we've all been there if we're in the online industry is you know we're a multi-million dollar company and uh we have a proposal in front of us for two million dollars for a brand new website and there's case study after case study showing that a brand new website is going to increase your conversion rate by 10, 15%. That's going to mean another, you know, seven, $8 million a year for you, you know, whatever it happens to be, but they're big, big numbers, right? So obviously the data is telling us that we need to buy a new website and $2 million is a tiny investment for the return. Well, your intuition's going screaming in the background. No, that's $2 million. Don't, don't do it. Well, what your intuition is telling you is, is, you know, it's screaming in the background because it knows subconsciously that all that data that shows that getting a new website increases your conversion rate and your sales and all that kind of stuff might be cherry picked case studies Mm. 
in order to close a sale for you, right? And that's, that's where, I mean, that's a literal example I've seen so many times and a lot of companies will invest in a brand new website for all these amazing new technologies and things that's going to increase their sales. And then when they get out the other side, no sales increase. Right now, now there are, you know, companies that have websites with things that are wrong on their website, the new technology will solve that you will see increases and things like that. But that's an example that kind of jumped out, jumps out as you ask that question, you know, where intuition screaming, don't spend $2 million, but all the case studies and data is telling you that's amazing. You have to do it. Got it. Got it. You mentioned yeah. earlier, Kevin, that you sometimes will access your subconscious through sleep and you will wake mm -hmm. up with an idea and it will be the correct one. Are there other methodologies or ways that you access intuition aside from sleep? <laughs> well, I think you know one of them. Uh, you and I are both, you know, I would like to think, you know, accomplished martial artists. We're working at it. We're working at it. It's always, you know, it's always a, you know, for me, it's always constantly trying to improve. And the 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 meditation of, you know, it sounds strange. I mean, you get onto the mat in martial arts and if I'm thinking about business and you've been there when it's happened to me, as a matter of fact, you've been one of the guys that's actually hit me. <laughs> if I'm thinking about business and we'll, you and I are sparring and all of a sudden, bam, you clock me right in the face. And then you're the first one. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, Dean, no, no, no. I was thinking about work on the mat. I wasn't here. Yeah. I wasn't in the moment, but the strange thing I was coming back to it. The strange thing is, is the disconnection of being completely focused on something else and not engaging in business, like being on the mat uh, at the dojo, allows that weird part of my brain that's you know disconnected to process it without interference from me consciously trying to guide it. And that disconnection of sleep, that disconnection of being on the mat, that disconnection of driving a race car, those kind of things that cause me to have to be in the moment. I cannot not be in the moment, otherwise bad things will happen. Like getting clocked in the head. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, I need to be punched in the head. My wife will tell you that. <laughs> and I'll be the first one to say I probably deserve it. Um, but yeah, those are some methods I use is getting away and allowing the subconscious to be unhindered by conscious thought. And do you sometimes after being on the mat or driving your car come away with an experience having your database mind sort of go on a pause that you come away from that going, Oh, I got this idea. Yeah. Or I got this a newfound sense of knowing that I didn't have beforehand. Well, as we all know, I mean, work is work. I mean, I love my work. I really do, but it, it takes it out of you. You know, I mean, it's exhausting. I mean, it's a mental process that, you know, can really kind of take it out of you and um, disconnecting refreshes things. Right. Yeah. And, and, and allows you to, again, your subconscious disconnects and then it can come back to you with fresh ideas. I mean, I don't know when I'm really actively working, my conscious mind is really harnessing my subconscious mind as well and keeping it on track. I'm, I'm concentrating. I'm really focusing in, in a path. Whereas when I disconnect in those Zen moments where I'm meditating on something else, whether it's physically in a, in a combat situation of sparring or driving a race car or sleeping, my subconscious can actually free itself up to go directions that I wouldn't ever let it go. And then it comes back with some cool things. You know, my brother-in-law, Douglas Deal, is an artist and a total Renaissance guy. And he talks about 
the left and right brain. And he once said to me, I could actually feel uh, a sensation when my thinking goes from one side of the brain to the other, which like, mm-hmm. I, you know, it really surprised me. And since <laughs> then I've been thinking about that, like, oh, I'm in my intuitive side. What is my brain mm-hmm. feel like relative to being very analytical? I'm beginning to pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of a physical sensation that takes place in your body mm-hmm. that says, okay, maybe it's I'm in the moment and I'm now feeling intuitive. The subconscious is allowed to communicate. Does it show up physically for you as well? For me, I don't know. I don't know if I would say it's a feeling so much as a synergy, you know, there's very rare, I'm very, very data oriented. I mean, I'm so, I don't know if it's right or left brain, which is the data side and which one's the creative side, but I'm very much the analytical guy. I mean, just very, very analytical. Yeah. But when I do experience a merger of the two, for me, um, that's that feeling of being in the zone. Everything slows down. You literally pick and choose the moments of things that you want to do. You know, music will bring that out of me. You know, certain types of music uh, allow me to get into the zone when I'm, you know, working or on the mat or, you know, driving and things like that. And there are, there's definitely a feeling of just overwhelming calm when everything kind of comes together and you're using everything and you are aware of all the things that are kind of going on, right? It's a, a athletes, you know, call it the zone. When they're yeah. in the zone, they can't miss the jump shot. They can't miss the free throw. They know. They just know. I'm going to make the three throw, free yeah. throw. Yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to ask you about was, again, this is part of the questions you wanted me to ask mm-hmm. you. It's not even part of the natural flow of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to just honor what you wanted to talk about. Sure, here. sure, sure. You said something about, and it doesn't, I'm curious why you chose this, but you said, ask me about, the elephant in the room syndrome. Oh yeah, and how it plays out. So okay, you caught my attention, Kevin. What's that about? <laughs> so the elephant in the room. I, I so I'm soapboxing a little bit here. I wanted to give everybody who's listening a little something. And and you know what? I bet you all of you already know this, but maybe there's one person out there that will get this before I got it. So the elephant in the room syndrome, that is the classic meeting, the owner of the company sitting in there, everybody's been tasked with coming up with the next great thing. You know, in my case, it's typically, you know, what are we going to do on the website to increase sales? What are we going to do to increase morale within the company? You know, all those things. And, you know, the elephant in the room is the owner of the company or the, you know, highest power executive comes in, you know, and says, well, clearly we need to have a buy it now button on the website and that will do everything that we need to have happen. And everybody in the room, you know, is intuition is screaming that, well, we already have a buy it now button, you know, and, and we know that it's not going to do anything, but you know, your boss basically has a strong opinion. And and then you say, you know, and then you may, maybe you try to inject some data into it. Hey, why do you think that'll work boss? Help me. I, I don't understand. You know, help me understand why you think that'll work. And then they'll say, well, I just saw it on Amazon. So that's the thing you got to do. Right. And, um, you know, in my career, um, you know, I've seen disasters, you know, happen that way. Um, Sometimes the boss knows. I mean, you know, they do have a lot of experience, but you'll know it when it happens. And um, a lot of times, 
you know, I have learned that, hey, you know, that's a great idea. Um, I think we can do something on our website right now and try that and do some testing and get some data around it to see if, see what it actually might do. Right. And, and for me, that's clearly kind of saying, hey, let's not invest $2 million in this thing yet. Let's try a little test and see how it tastes. And if it tastes good, let's get more. If it doesn't taste good, then. <laughs> so and now I see why you chose that. It fits right into intuition quite well. And I've, I was like, all right, see the tie in here. I over and over again, I so agree with you, Kevin. I see organizations and I've been involved in meetings where people are really told that they can speak up if they've got some sort of facts to back it up, that there is a data-based decision-making process. You know, uh, The subject matter experts are the one who can speak on a topic, but somebody from marketing or HR who's not the engineer, the data guru, doesn't have a right to say anything. And it's not necessarily spoken in such terms, but it's certainly felt. And a lot of people just mm-hmm. sit in on these meetings not saying a word because no one asks them. And so there's something to be said for intuition, which often doesn't have a language and data. Yes, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, that is about people, if they're given that opportunity to engage them, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a fin expression. And now all of a sudden we've got much more discussion, much more going on and much more participation in a, in a problem or a solution. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, you've, uh, I've known you for a long time and, and, you know, you've helped with a lot of things that, that, you know, I have seen improve my relationships with people and people I manage and me, me being a data oriented guy, it's very hard to get me off the, I'm the elephant in the room sometimes. Cause I, you know, have my own company, right? So how do my employees <laughs> come to me when they disagree, right? <laughs> it's no. come back to bite you. Right. right. I, right. I have right. a strong opinion. I've got, and you know, the way that I try to get people to come out is, you know, to ask people who are not communicating in the room and saying, hey, you know, HR, I know, you know, this may not be your area of expertise and we've got a lot of guys in here, but sometimes it's great to hear, you know, what you guys are thinking, right? And man, some left field stuff or even, you know, I mean, these people are in the room for a reason. They're smart. And asking them, and giving them permission to just simply voice an opinion, right, is sometimes very powerful because it can open up dialogue in the room. And as a manager, you can support that, you know, you bring people out and bring them into the center and then let them have an opinion, then explore it a little bit with them and let them relish in participating in the success that, you know, maybe some of your more outspoken people are having. All right. So here's an unprepared question that you Uh-oh. didn't get. You're going to be put on the spot. It's the wild card, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, the final one of the of our conversation. Uh, and I don't necessarily have the best answer, but I'm curious about what your thought is on this. It just came to me as you were talking. Mm-hmm. What's the business case uh-huh. for encouraging people to express their intuition? What is the business case for encouraging people to express their intuition? Well, I think the business case is clear if you're willing to understand how people succeed. I didn't succeed simply because I kept doing what was expected of me and kind of kept quiet in my job. I succeeded because I stood up and expressed an opinion that I wanted to have, you know, my own company and I wanted to help people. And, you know, I took a stand. Um, And the business case is quite simply, you know, 
if you allow the experts in the room to drive the conversation without the input of other smart people, you will do business every day the same way you've done it every day previously. So let, let the people that have some intuition or, you know, let them safely come forward and express an opinion, not based on data and experience, but on intuition, right? That's how we hear about, you know, new websites or new technologies or, Hey, I was, I'm not an internet expert, but I was, you know, online the other day in this, you know, crazy video conferencing software called zoom, you know, has a free 40 minute, you know, you know, I mean, all of a sudden everybody's like, what? Wow. Let's check this out. Right. That's mm -hmm. how, that's how you kind of push the boundaries and get outside of the box that you're used to. Awesome. That's great. And I think that uh, it's a great way to sort of to cap this off, certainly since we're still, you know, reeling from the whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Yeah. And everybody seems to be saying the future is a big question mark. Uh, the data yeah. and what we did before January of 2020 is not going to allow us to be successful in this unknown future. We have to have different ways of thinking. We have to have different ways of making decisions and engaging people. And maybe, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sort of putting words in your mouth, but maybe part of that is around allowing that sort of expression that you just described through engaging people in their intuition. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, there, yeah, it reminds me of this. Um, well, I haven't got it here, but Kevin, where, where can people connect with you? I mean, if they want to reach out, how do they engage? Uh, with you and your company? Mm -hmm. You can, uh, my company is Enciba, E-N-C-E-I-B-A.com. Uh, we are uh, Amazon experts and we help companies figure out Amazon and leverage it to its fullest. And you can reach out to me by um, emailing me at kevin at Enciba.com. And just let me know that you're responding to um, Dean's uh, podcast here. Um, and I'd love to chat with you, even, you know, just off the record or, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, I'm always, I'm always interested in hearing intuitions and opinions <laughs> from people outside of my industry because I'm, you know, so focused in what I do. It's fun to hear differing opinions and thoughts. And when, one last question, why Enceba? What's the meaning of that oh. word? <laughs> Thanks for asking. Enceba. Uh, so the Seba tree is the tallest tree in the Amazon. And Enceba helps our clients stand tall in the Amazon. Ah, <laughs> I love it. Because right, <laughs> I saw your new name and I, and I was thinking like, it's, there's got to be a story behind that. That's a great, great way of putting it. Thank you. Very good. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. This has been delightful. It's always great well, to talk you. to you, my friend. And it's a uh, I was just wonderful hearing your insights and um, I'm sure you're going to continue to be really successful. Thanks. And you too. Um, you've been uh, extremely valuable and helpful in, in my career. I mean, you know, I, I can't imagine that I'd be here where I am today without, you know, some of the things that you've shared and opened my eyes to sometimes, sometimes with a punch to the face, <laughs> but uh, it's, all been, it's all been appropriately timed, shall we say. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.